Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. Hope that you're able to celebrate Maroon Friday however you choose. Many of you, I know, are probably doing it in your pajamas. Maybe so. I'm not. Uh, it, it's nothing new for me to work from home. So, but I know many of you. It's a, it, an adjustment. I've uh, spoke to some friends today who uh, are going a little bit stir crazy, having some cabin fever. Probably didn't hurt to get out and uh, work in the yard a little bit to get away from all of it. But uh, hope that you guys are well. And it is Friday, which means it's likely a payday for many of you. Time to load up on some online shopping. I'm sure. I'm sure, the folks at Amazon will uh, look forward to your purchases later today. But uh, hope you guys are doing well. I want to give you guys a little bit of an update too on our friend David Johnson. I've had a lot of people that have reached out about that. And then uh, one of the things that I'll share, and I'm, not that I'm surprised, a lot of Mississippi State people 
been in contact and said, hey, Steve, can you give us an update on Dave Johnson? And you know, it's there's so much of this. We get so caught up at times with the state Ole Miss thing and, you know, there's this. And, well, this guy, just because he went to Ole Miss, is a bad person. And this guy went to state. He's a good person. Let me let me give you a little, uh, little tidbit. Uh, we got some crummy Mississippi State folks, too. And uh, there are some people that went to Ole Miss that are wonderful people. And so I know that's a, you know, a, a shock to the system for many. But uh, I am not the least bit surprised that so many people have been concerned about Dave Johnson. I have watched it all very, very closely. You know, Dave is a colleague of ours. And in, in addition, Dave's our friend. I mean, Dave is a really nice guy. And uh, listen, you may not always agree with his football takes or his recruiting coverage or whatever, and that's to be expected. I mean, there's a lot of people I know that uh, – you know, as benign as a guy like Paul Jones can be. I mean, you know, there's some Ole Miss people that don't like what he has to say because of the fact that it's uh, it's bad news for their team at times. You know, but uh, but the bottom line is Dave Johnson is a good man with a family, and uh, I think a lot of Dave. Matter of fact, even when Dave and I were on opposite networks, we still got together and compared notes from time to time because of the fact we wanted to be right. We absolutely wanted to be right. But the latest information that I have, since we have been together, Dave Johnson took a turn for the worst. Uh, I guess that would have been Wednesday night. You know, when, so Chris Brooks, you guys know Chris. Uh, Chris texted Paul Jones and I and said that when he talked to Dave on Wednesday morning, and they're friends and speak regularly, that Dave wanted to go on the radio and say, hey, listen, here's what's going on and, and with this virus, and listen, I, people need to take this seriously and protect yourselves, and really wanted to do a bit of a public service announcement, which I think says a lot about David Johnson. You know, David didn't want to go on there and just, you know, say, hey, oh, woe is me. Dave wanted to go on there and talk about his experience and the virus and kind of prepare people. And, uh, and then later that evening, he took a turn for the worst, and uh, and so his wife his wife also is sick and has tested positive. So their daughter posted on Facebook that Wednesday night that Dave had to be put on a ventilator and uh, trying to give his lungs an opportunity to heal. And uh, and listen, you never want to hear anything like that. You just don't. And it's one of those things that really hits home, not just because of the fact that. Uh, you know, it's somebody that we know, but it's one of those things when you begin to look at the bigger part of this, this is a man with a family. This is a man with dependent children. This is a man that has people in his life that love him. He's not just a number on a graph that's tweeted out by the CDC. This is a person. And so the latest information that we have is Dave is still on the event, and this is shared by his son, Eli Johnson, Ole Miss Center, Eli Johnson is that they actually reduced his vent from 70 to 60% last night, and his oxygen levels remain consistent. That is, that is big news. That's big news. So we're, hope, we're hopeful that Dave will make a full recovery here. But I just want to say, listen, remember him and his family, your thoughts and prayers. You know, his wife also tested positive for coronavirus, and I understand she's still quarantined at home. But uh, this thing has come home in a very personal way because, again, this is somebody that we know and somebody that we interact with on a regular basis somebody that we shared oxygen with for a couple days here about 17 days ago. So it is something that uh, is very alarming, you know, and we, but we're all fine. You know, so there's no concern about any of us. Our, our concern is about Dave. And uh, so, again, thank you guys and continue to pray for that family. And uh, we wish Dave the absolute best and a full recovery. I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. You can still have the great restaurant-quality hamburgers that you love and you, and you desire from Bulldog Burger Company. You got to do the online order, and you can do that at eatwithus.com.
or you can call in, have a phone in order, and uh, they'll bring it out to you, whatever. You just can't dine in the restaurant. So there is no dining service, but you can still get those great spring rolls and bring them home or bring them to your office or whatever you want to do. You, you could buy them and go outside and give them away to a homeless person. Doesn't make any difference to us or to them. But the bottom line is you can still get the food that you crave. Let me, let me just go ahead and share it with you, okay? We all have to eat. And for many of us, we still have to get out and go work. And so reward yourself a little bit, especially on a day like today when it's payday, and enjoy a great restaurant quality hamburger from Bulldog Burger Company. Two locations now to serve you on University Drive right here in Stark, Vegas, and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. So since we have been together, there have been some developments that uh, involve college baseball. Now, there is the whole the vote on Monday about the eligibility rule and that sort of stuff. And there are there's a wide range of opinions about that sort of thing. You know, the, uh, the D2 model, a lot of people said, well, the D1 model will probably follow that one. But there has been a lot of opposition among the Power Five because not everybody is a baseball school. Not to mention there are a lot of other schools out there that are Division I schools that don't have the budgets that perhaps a Mississippi State or NOFU does. And so they're really not in favor of having to fund more scholarships which is a symptom of a bigger problem that we can discuss at another day. But the bottom line is, is that uh, there will be some discussions. There's going to be a vote. There's also been a report, uh, I guess Jeff Rosting had it, that um, the NCAA is now considering tabling the discussions about immediate eligibility until June. So we're not exactly sure what we're going to learn on Monday, but we do know there are some discussions about all of this. Now, the Major League Baseball uh, people and executives have reached a deal with the Players Association. There's a new labor deal in place, and these are unprecedented times, and uh, as a result, you're going to see some unprecedented things. There is going to be a Major League Baseball draft. I know some people suggested there wouldn't be. There will be. It'll be an abbreviated draft. It could be as few as five rounds. could be as many as ten but there's going to be, and I haven't read all that. I understand there's some breaking news today that there will be some other things that kind of roll out. But there will be a draft. And so there won't be as an extensive as a draft. So less college players and high school prospects are going to be drafted. How people choose to manage those picks kind of remains to be seen. We've talked about our juniors extensively, but you know what, what will all this mean for them? I think it's safe to say if they have a 10-round draft, the Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan will probably go unselected. Not, not because of their talent level. It's because I don't think that they're top 10 caliber picks at this point. You know, Rowdy Jordan's a guy that's still kind of figuring some things out. In center field, Tanner Allen, it's a five, nine and a quarter first baseman. He's made to move to the outfield to kind of boost his spot, his stock in the eyes of pro scouts. And so probably needs a little more time to figure those things out because he's been hurt all year. So that's a big part of things. So once that is finalized, and uh, it appears that we're, we're pretty close to that, if not already, that we're not going to have uh, the draft that we normally have. And so you're going to have some of these rosters. And so that means there's going to be some players that end up getting cut, unless the NCAA provides a lot of scholarship relief. And again, the bigger voices in college baseball are not the ACC and the SEC. It's these schools that struggle to fund the sport. So uh, Jeff Passan had this earlier. Details on a labor agreement between the players and MLB. The draft picks only get $100,000 of their bonus in 2020. 
and half that remainder due July 1st, 2021, and the other half in 2022. That, that's a lot to consider, too. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you get picked, but you don't get that big influx of cash right out of the gate that you ordinarily would in a normal draft. There's also talk about showcases. You have an opportunity for amateur players to have a showcase since there wasn't the benefit of a season. May do it for next year, too. Same bonus rules apply to 2021 draft, and drug suspensions served in 2020. And if there's no season, they won't carry over to 2021. Those things are interesting to me because the financial ramifications of all this have reached Major League Baseball. There's no money coming in. That's the thing, too, and I touched on this a little bit on Wednesday's show, is when it comes to pro baseball, there's no revenue being generated. There's no games being played. Opening day has been you know, silenced. And so as, since there's, there was no spring training, players haven't been cut. Players haven't retired. And there's already been this discussion about kind of gutting minor league baseball because they think there's too many minor league teams, and maybe there are. But if this is the opportunity I think they'll take to change all of that. And so since all these guys are getting another year of service that applies towards their pension and all that sort of stuff, because the Players Association is worried about the veterans. They're worried about guys that are, are due-paid due members of the Players Association. They're going to look to protect them. And so since guys aren't leaving rosters, guys aren't hanging up the cleats or leaving the game, Major League Baseball still has to pay those salaries. And so since all the teams are having to play that, they're going to look to cut corners wherever they can to save some money, and it's going to be in, this, in the first player draft. That's where it's going to happen. This is where the money's going to be saved, right here. Uh, there's still no guarantee there's going to be a season. There will be a draft, and we'll kind of work through it and, and figure those things out. But again, there's a lot of moving parts to this. You'll have the NCAA decision or the vote on Monday, unless some things get changed. And there's already, again, there's talk about the transfer thing. Because when they, they can't just do this, that I'm sure they what they want to do is do something that's applicable to everybody. Because there are a lot of sports right now that you don't have the transfer uh, residency requirement that requires you to sit out a year. There are some sports you can transfer and play immediately. And so what I understand is they're working towards having some uniformity when it comes to transfers. And so if they're going to go ahead and tackle this, let's go ahead and tackle everything, including football and everything, and just have a policy across the board, take advantage of this time that we have, and bring meaningful legislation. But the D1 baseball vote next week will be interesting. It will be. But at least now we kind of have an idea of what the draft's going to look like. And then, you know, they'll have that. I don't know when they have that. I mean, I haven't seen the dates on that. Maybe you guys know more than I do. But uh, but the bottom line is there will be some players. And we do expect Jordan Westberg and Justin Foskey to be drafted. Uh, just some discussions recently about Blaze Jordan. And people know him as the home run king. You know, kind of the Babe Ruth of his, of his era. You know, he's a guy that if you throw him a fastball, groove him a fastball, he'll, he'll turn you into a highlight reel pretty quick. Still got to figure some things out, recognize and spin, that sort of stuff. And so there are a lot of people that have told me that you know he may not go, he may not be drafted where people expect because of the, the abbreviated draft and the fact that he has a very, 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 very hefty asking price. This is a guy that grew up wanting to play at Mississippi State. And so in order for him to pass on that, there's a dollar amount in mind he's got to have. Now, that may change, and I think when you begin to look at this bonus structure, that may be a part of the, the, the equation, too. It's like, well, yeah, I, I'll just go to school. You know, if, if I've got to have this uh, you know, fragmented bonus structure when I was expecting to be able to, to sign a contract and then be able to go to deposit a, you know, 
you know, a check with millions of dollars, and now all of a sudden all I get is a hundred grand, and after the IRS gets their cut, I mean, you know, it's yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of money for a teenage kid, but it's not the life changing money that it was initially, what it was expected to be. And so I think all of that factors in with the signing class. When you don't have the ability to go get that big money, you know, there's a, and eventually you get it in time. But I, I, again, this is a cost cutting measure by Major League Baseball. And it's going to change college baseball, at least this year. And I don't know that you can have just the relief for this year. I think you've got to just let, and let's just rip the Band-Aid off and let's go ahead and handle all the issues that we have to do with college baseball to move the game forward. we got time to talk about it now. I think this is an important part of things. This could be a game-changing stretch for college baseball because the rosters are going to be packed. And I know some, some fans look at it and say, oh, we're going to be absolutely loaded next year, and we are. We absolutely are. But I think the bigger issue, because that, that's temporary. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, yeah, you expect Mississippi State to be great every year. But, you know, getting some guys back you weren't anticipating, that is a temporary deal. We need to bring some permanent resolution to some of the problems in college baseball. And so my hope is that that discussion will happen. I think maybe this will be the impetus to bring more scholarships and kind of ease the limitations a little bit kind of moving forward. Uh, my firm belief is, and I've shared this many times, is that we need to go to divisions in baseball. We, we can't have everybody playing Division One baseball. We just, we just can't. If they can't fund it, they don't need to be able to go to the College World Series. I mean, you, you change it. I mean, we've already got, you know, D2 and D3, and maybe you force some people to go D2. I, I don't know. But I, I think in order for this game to move forward, the power conferences have to have the ability to move the game forward and, and sell tickets and that sort of stuff. I mean, listen – you, you look around the Power Five, even look at the Pac-12, you know, most of those schools, their school record attendance is, an, is a Tuesday night at Duty Noble Field. And so why should Mississippi State and Florida State and Texas and teams like that, why should we all have to be handicapped because Monmouth doesn't want to play ball the way that everybody else does? Or Bowling Green doesn't want to, you know, fund the third assistant. I mean, so... That's the thing that's so complicated about all this is that those people get an equal say and in many respects a greater say than the power conferences because they say, hey, well, what are you guys complaining about? You're making some money on this. And these people, it, it is an expenditure for them. I think we have to do what's best for the student-athlete. And, and get, listen, if, what's wrong with having another championship among the minor, minor conferences? And it's, it's amazing to me that people are afraid to use that term now. You know, there are major conferences and there are minor conferences and there is not a greater disparity in that, I, I think, other than football. But in baseball, you know, you see these uh, these Cinderella teams and men's basketball that, that kind of get hot. But in baseball, it's the, it's really the haves and the have-nots. And so I think let's let's go ahead and treat it like football. If, if there is this great disparity in financing, then let's treat it like we do football. Let's make baseball an FBS and FCS Thing. I'm not going to belabor that point all day. There are a lot of things that I want to talk about today, and I can get caught up and get impassioned about that. But there is, again, there are changes in the air. Be mindful of that. And, and again, a lot of people believe the D1 decision is going to mirror the D2 one, but there are a lot of people in the Division One level that are against that. So it'll be an interesting vote. There are a lot of people very closely in tuned with all of those goings on, Kendall Rogers being one of those people. And so be mindful of that as you kind of get into the early week next week. There will be some resolution on that. So, and again, 
and a lot of people don't understand this, the Division II and Division III models have been handled. The Division I thing is a little more complicated. So that is still, there's still some resolution there. I'll remind you guys, too, I have made the jump to Hawthorne. Happy to do it. H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. And I have never smelled better. Ever. Ever. Best cologne I have ever worn in my life. Without a question. It's not loud. It's not muted. It's great. And nobody ever tells you how to wear cologne or apply cologne or buy cologne. You can do it for yourself. Go to hawthorne.co. Again, that's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. And take the quiz. There's a little quiz that you'll take there. And I know you're curious anyway, because if you're a guy, you're like me. It's like, well, I just bought the stuff that my girlfriend liked. And then all of a sudden she moves on. You're still wearing the same cologne. You know, but, you know, I mean, find what fits you. Go take the quiz and see what they pair you up with. They'll partner you up with scents that meet your preferences. You can get the body wash. You can get the shampoo and the conditioner. Get the face wash. You can get hand lotion. You can get it all. Anything you need. But that cologne is next level, man. I'm telling you. You get the work scent, the play scent. You're going to love them both. Absolutely going to love them both. So, again, that's hotbarn.co. And use promo code BONEYARD to save 10% off your first order. Give you a little incentive to give this folk a try. I'm, I'm telling you, cologne is part of your life anyway. You might as well have something that fits your chemistry. And you're going to find that at hotbarn.co. So top 10 list today. We're not going to do music entertainment. We're going to do egg balls. You know, I have spent a lot of time here. You know, I, I'm taking advantage of the isolation to be able to kind of get way ahead on the sequel to Stark Villains. As you guys are aware, so I've been interviewing a lot of players. Like yesterday and today, I've interviewed Matt Wyatt and Chris Franny and Kevin Sluter about the 96 Egg Bowl. And, and uh, I've interviewed uh, Eric Underwood, of course, about the Egg Bowl, Sleepy Robinson, Eric Moulds, Michael Davis, Tassenzo Miller, Jerry Snorwood. I've interviewed a lot of people about a lot of Egg Bowls. By the time this book is complete, I will have written about every Egg Bowl win since 1946. Working on some College World Series trips, too. But, you know, because I have spent so much time researching Egg Bowls the last couple of years, I thought, you know what? Mississippi State has won 10 Egg Bowls this century. We were 6-4 and four in the last decade. You know, in the 2010s, we go 6-4. and four, So we pick up a couple of games there in the overall series record. And, and, I, and I suspect, I'll go ahead and give you a hot take, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have a winning decade this year, too. This decade, pardon me. But I thought, you know what, since we won 10 this century, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna rank them. I'm going to rank my favorite 10 egg balls this century. I'm going to put them in order. You guys okay with that? And, and listen, your list may differ than mine. And, and one of the things that I looked at is, you know, what, what, did, what did it mean for each season? Was it an exciting game? There's a lot of factors involved here. And so the number 10 Egg Bowl on my list, and listen, they're all big. I'm not just because I rank one above another one doesn't mean that I didn't love it. I, I, I have loved every win over Ole Miss in every sport every day of my life. Every day of my life. And again, this is our stretch to brag. You know, we've won two in a row. We won three the last four, and it took Ole Miss breaking Nick Fitzgerald's ankle to prevent us from winning four in a row. But my number 10 win is 2011. And, to, if you, and, and it's one of those things, too, it's almost kind of a forgotten season. That was the 6-6 six and six Wake Forest year. We went and beat them in the Music City Bowl. 
that was the 31 to 3 game that uh, ultimately cost Houston Nutt his job. It, it kind of put an end to the the end of the Houston Nutt era at Ole Miss. That's a 31 to 3 game, and you may recall that Ole Miss scored late, and they reviewed it and ruled that he they, that he wasn't in, that he was incomplete. And then Barry Bernetti gets loose there. And then Lewis Watson, St. Paul's High School down in Mobile, Alabama, the highlight of his playing career. Didn't play a whole lot. He was a great guy, but he didn't play a whole lot. He comes up and just destroys Barry Bernetti on the last play of the game to keep them out of the end zone in a 31-3 win. It was a great night. Rang a little bit. That's the game, too, if you remember where we just kind of ran the quarterback draw over and over and over early in the game because we knew that Chris Ruff was, was tougher than their linebackers. And we, we, Dan, you know, and I've talked to Dan about this after, you know, years later. You know, Dan had a chance to kind of repay them back for that 45 to nothing 2008 loss. But Dan caught off the dogs. Dan Mullen had told me before that he believes, you know, when you take a knee against somebody like Ole Miss, that that is a greater indignity than blowing them out. And I have told him that, that is incorrect. I've told him that's absolutely incorrect. The only way to really get your point across is to run the score up. Because I believe in the you, – you've seen the movie The Mighty Ducks? You've seen that when you were much younger? You remember the, the, the Hawks coach, right? It's not worth winning if you can't win big, especially rivalry games you got to go win the rivalry game. The number nine egg ball on my list for the for the century is 2005. That, again, was not a winning year for us, but it was one that was a, a memorable game. That's the Jarius Norwood game. You may recall that. Uh, that's the one where we absolutely ran at will against them. And uh, Jerry just had to go back to the locker room. You remember he went down and he was cramping up. And uh, he goes back to the locker room and he comes back out and Davis Wade Stadium absolutely explodes. And uh, we win the ball game 35 to 14. Make sure I got this pulled up right. Yeah, that's that's the – Jerry, I think, had four touchdowns on the day. But it was just one of those days where things were going right for us. The listed attendance for that – the biggest home game of the year because it was a rough year, fifty three thousand six fifty five. That's the uh, that's the, that's Chrome year number two. We go three and nine that year. We beat Murray State. We beat Tulane in Freeport. And if you had forgotten about that, we went and played that game up at the Independent Stadium. And then we didn't win again. Our long SEC win was Ole Miss. It was a dreadful year for us. But we won the ball game. Number eight on my list might be a bit of a surprise. It's 2009. And that's the year you remember. That's you know, Ole Miss was uh, came to Starkville with Jevin Sneed, God rest his soul, um, trying to get to the Capital One Bowl game. They needed to beat Mississippi State, and then they would have been in line to go to the Capital One Bowl game. And and listen, State should have been playing for bowl eligibility that day. Dan Mullen, if he challenges a play on Tyson Lee, they ruled Tyson Lee over the line of scrimmage when he hit Leon Berry that would have set up a score. 
we didn't we didn't challenge a play, and as a result, we didn't score on that drive. And then Tyson had a big fumble late, and I'm not throwing shade at Tyson. That's just that's just the game. But we lose that game to Houston, and then if we make a tackle against LSU on Chad Jones, we beat LSU. What a big game that would have been! And that was, I think, that was the game too. And I think people realized Dan Mullen was for real. You know, we beaten Jackson State. And Auburn got on us pretty good. We went over there and played well for a while, but Auburn got on us, and then we beat Vanderbilt 15-3, to and, and it was just not, you know, offensively we were not doing it. But against LSU, we pretty much did what we wanted to do. We should have won the game. We're a play away from beating LSU. We're a play away from beating Houston. But uh, here we were at the end of the year playing Ole Miss, really playing spoiler. And uh, this is the um, – this is the Dexter McCluster game, I guess, when uh, Charles Mitchell blows him up on the sidelines early and the crowd really got into it. Ralph comes on in relief enticingly, has a big game. And then late in the ball game, Corey Brumfield, the pride of Palm Bay High School, picks Jevin Sneed off on a pick six, baits him into the throw because he's sagging off Pat Patterson and Pat is lazy on the route. And as soon as the ball leaves Jevin Sneed's hand, Broomfield breaks on it, and he's, it's smooth sailing, and then he points at Sneed as he goes in, and that wrapped it up. That's uh, that's number eight on the list. And and that's the game, too, if you remember after it was over with, because Houston Nutt had said in the media that week that you know, the program was going good, and they were recruiting strong, and everything was great, and they were on the rise. And then Dan Mullen, somehow, some way, somebody had a microphone on the sidelines and hands it to Dan Mullen after we win the ball game. And Dan Mullen says, that's right, there's one program on the rise here in the state of Mississippi, and that's right here at Mississippi State. And at that point, every one of us was ready to suit up and play football for Dan Mullen. Number seven on the list, the 2018 win. That's the Nick Fitzgerald redemption game. It's one of those ones, too, where, you know, we we go eight and four, we go down there and we win that ball game, and uh, was not a competitive game. That's the 35-3 game. That's the fight game. Again, we keep them out of the end zone again. That's the A.J. Brown, Jonathan Abram slap fast ball game. That's the ball game that led to uh, the new restrictions about not keeping the golden egg on the field, that sort of stuff, which is so stupid. But this is a game we expected to win because Ole Miss is not good at sports. And uh, we went up there at their place, and, um, and we won again. And it was one of those things, too, and I wanted it so bad for Nick Fitzgerald. Because, again, as I've shared in Stark Villains, I don't know that many Mississippi State fans fully appreciate the sacrifices he made to be a quarterback. And then for him to come all the way back after that horrific injury, after that cheap shot in 17, to come back and have the game that he did, cementing himself as the greatest road egg ball quarterback in Mississippi State history. 35-3. 35-3. Number six on my list, and again, your list may be different than mine. Number six on my list is the first Nick Fitzgerald win at Ole Miss, the 55-21. You know, we went up there, and there was so much talk about, you know, it had been a bad year. We're basically up there to uh, to play spoiler, keep them out of a ball game, and we ultimately get in with an APR. But it wasn't a good year for us. And if you remember, this is the post, the first year of the post-Dak Prescott era at Mississippi State. 
Dan mismanages the quarterback situation early, and it cost us the South Alabama game. I know everybody gives Weston Graves the grief for missing that kick, and, and he'll tell you he should have made it. But the bottom line is we shouldn't have been in that position. We're up 20 to nothing in this ball game, and we get outscored 21 to nothing in the second half. We thought Peter Sermon was the truth, man, after, after a half. How little did we know? Then the next week, we bounced back and beat South Carolina. We nearly beat LSU down at their place. You remember Damian Williams with the big comeback. We nearly won the game. Then we go up and we beat uh, UMass at, at Foxborough. Auburn absolutely destroyed us here. They ran all over us. And then we lose to uh, BYU in overtime, a game we should have won. I remember... You know, poor Will Coleman, you know, gets hit where they rough in the passer penalty on, on a, a, you know, possession play, and it was the right call. It wasn't anything intentional or malicious, but, it, you know, he, he did make contact with the guy's helmet. They made the call. Uh, I don't hate the call. I hate the rule, but I understand it. Then we lose to Kentucky when the kid makes, what, a career-long 53-yard field goal, and it just seemed like we were snake bit. But we were a good team, but it had some bad luck. We didn't play good defense at all, but we were a good offensive team. We put up some huge numbers that year. And we knew Ole Miss couldn't stop us, so we went up there and just destroyed them and had a lot of fun in the process. Number five on my list is this year's Egg Bowl, 2019. There's a couple reasons why. Number one, it was a, it was a huge win in a very, very frustrating year. We left some wins on the table. And uh, made life very difficult for ourselves. Had to overcome a lot of adversity. Had to overcome the Tudor Gate stuff. Had to overcome injuries to two quarterbacks. Not to mention Keaton Thompson looking to transfer. I mean, yeah, there was just so many distractions with all of this. And despite all of that, we still found a way to beat Ole Miss again and extend the bowl streak. And uh, I think when I think about Daryl Williams and that senior class and, and Chauncey Rivers and that bunch. I mean, it's just some guys that really played hard for Mississippi State. And I'm glad the streak didn't end on their watch. Not to mention the way that game ended. I mean, how, how you know, listen, we could have knocked down that 4th and 24 pass and celebrated because, you know, we were ramped up. I mean, after Kobe Jones had that big sack on third down of Matt Corral, we're thinking this thing is over. We'll get a big defensive play and the game's over. We'll run out the clock. And that would have been great. That would have been great. It really would have been. But – the way that it ended with that missed extra point after that, that ridiculous, selfish penalty against Elijah Moore, I think, uh, I think was a very fitting end, and ultimately brought the end of the uh, Matt Luke era at Ole Miss. And again, I, I don't, I don't think having negative feelings about Matt Luke, but uh, it's pretty clear that those those kids didn't respect him. They may have they wanted to play hard for him, but they wouldn't have done something selfish like that otherwise. It's a lack of discipline. All right, so number four on the list. 2007. 2007. That is a, uh, that's our first non, I guess it's not, it's not stressed, our second Sylvester Croom. I was going to say our first non Dan Mullen, but that's completely wrong because we already talked about Jim Moorhead twice. So forgive me, forgive me. 2007, that's a Derek Pegues game. That brought the end of the Ed Orgeron era at Ole Miss. The play that stands out in my mind, everybody remembers the Pekis punt return, but the play that I remember, and everybody remembers them going for it on fourth down or out around midfield, is Brandon Cooper. Brandon Cooper 
the highlight of his Mississippi State career. I don't even know why he was on the field in that situation. I mean, I really don't. The game is on the line. They're going forward on fourth down, and we got a third-team defensive lineman out there. And what does he do? Brandon Cooper takes Michael Orr, All-American, wrote a book about him, made a, made a fake movie about him, a cartoon movie about him, about the, all that nonsense, but that's another day. But Michael Orr is a great player. And so Brandon Cooper takes this guy into the backfield and drops him in Ben Jarvis Green Ellis's lap. And then Dominic Davis comes in, cleans up the play, and the next thing you know, there is juice in life. And if they punt the football there, they probably win the game. Next thing you know, we go down, we score. They punt. Pegues takes it back on a great adjustment by him, and then we get the ball back. And and uh, Adam Carlson, another much maligned Mississippi State player at times. Adam Carlson makes the biggest kick of his life. And, man, that thing, when Kroom got ready to kick it, everybody in the stadium was like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? And I get it. But, man, Adam Carlson absolutely boomed that thing through. That was a huge, huge day for us. And, of course, that's our our first bowl game was clinched already. We were already bowl eligible. But we ensured that we were going to have a trip to, to Memphis, our first bowl game since 2000. It had been a miserable decade. And that day was perfect. That was a perfect day. We win. We go to a bowl game. Ole Miss fires football coach. That's a good. That's a good day. Number three on my list. I'm going 2001. 2001, and for uh, kind of similar reasons as some of these other games, it's like because of what was at stake here. We were projected to be a very solid bowl team. I've recently talked to Sinzo Miller about that, about how much confidence that they had going into the season. Really felt with what they had coming back on offense that we were going to have a great team. We didn't. We didn't have a great team. But we ultimately win the ball game. We'd be the Eli and start bowl and keep all miss out of a ball game. But it was such a frustrating year. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing. But I remember that CBS game against Florida, and they beat us 52 to nothing. We had beaten them pretty good up here in 2000, and Spurrier got his revenge. And, man, they picked on Demetric Wright all day long. People forget, we, and we were ranked in the AP to begin the year at number 19. Some people had us in their top 15. Like a lot of people were suggesting Mississippi State would really challenge in the SEC West, including me. And so we win that first ball game, and then we're number 17 against South Carolina, who was 18. And then, you know, Pinnock gets loose on a fourth down play and runs for a touchdown. They beat us 16-14. That's the first post-9-11 game. And then we go beat loose to Florida, 52 to nothing. And it's like all the wind went out of our sails. We still had a chance to bounce back. We go to Auburn and, uh, you know, didn't defend it well there at the end of the half, and they end up getting a field goal, and they beat us late 16-14. A ball game we should have won defensively, we played a lot better. Then we lose to Troy. Then we get blown out by LSU. We, we get one from Kentucky, which was big. And then we nearly beat Alabama. We nearly beat Arkansas. So we, we kind of figured some things out about halfway through the year. We were competitive in those ball games. And then uh, we get Ole Miss here. And it wasn't the last game of the year. 
It was supposed to be, but if you recall, we had to reschedule because of 9-11 with BYU. So they, BYU comes in, and we play them, and we lose that ball game by a field goal, one of the worst officiated games in the history of college football. So when you look at this year and you think, man, you know, man, what a miserable year it turned out to be. You got a handful of games in here that, uh, you know, five games, you had five losses by a score or less. And so we weren't a, we weren't a bad football team, but we had a bad record. In no doubt. And, uh, but we beat Ole Miss. Corey Banks, that's your hero. Corey Banks, a couple of interceptions against Eli Manning. Biggest game of his career, for sure. I remember the dogs, Joe Lee turning the dogs loose in that ball game, for sure. The number two egg ball on my list is 2013. That's the Damian Williams game. That's the Dak Prescott coming off the bench and us winning an overtime game. It was one of those games, too, where, you know, not a lot of people gave us a chance to win the ball game. Not many people gave us a chance to win the ball game. You know, we're four and six heading into that final stretch. We'd lost three games in a row. You know, we lose. We're in pretty good shape early on, even with Dak as the quarterback. That's the thing that people forget about this. Tyler Russell at the time was, you know, considered an NFL prospect. Tyler gets hurt against Oklahoma State. We don't do anything offensively. We kind of throw Dak to the Wolves. We come back and we beat Alcorn State 51-7. to And then Dak has to make his first SEC start on the road at Auburn. We lose 24-20. If Dak runs for a first down late in that game, we win. But he didn't. He wasn't Dak quite yet. Then we blow out Troy 62-7, and then LSU really, really got to us. It was a competitive game for a while, but then they blew us out. We slipped by Bowling Green. That's the Kendrick Market tackle. You remember that? You remember if, if Kendrick Market doesn't make a tackle in the open field, we lose to Bowling Green. Then we beat Kentucky. Another one of those games late, we had to make a play late. Defense had to get us off the field. And then we go and lose at South Carolina. That's the weekend that Peggy Prescott left us. And so then everybody thought, well, you know, we'll give Dak some time. And Dak's like, no, nah, I'll be back. And so as soon as the funeral was over, he's back. Said that his mom would have been disappointed with him if he missed practice. So he gets back. We go to A&M. We're playing Johnny Manziel in his last game at College Station. And if we just make a couple special teams tackle, we win. We don't, though. We couldn't stop him. We lose 51-41. But offensively, that's when, even though Dak was banged up, guy was a warrior. So we lose the ball game. We go to Alabama, or pardon me, we host Alabama here. Tyler Russell starts the game, an, an absolute warrior, and Tyler's all broken up. That's why people, even to this day, people don't understand how hurt Tyler Russell was. And then we go on the road and we beat Arkansas, and for the first time ever to win a game in the state of Arkansas. Tyler Russell was so beaten up in that ball game, but he did what a senior's supposed to do. And I remember him late in the ball game, him standing in there delivering a ball on third down, knowing he's fixing to get hot, crushed. And he completes the pass. The drive extends. We win the game in overtime. That's the Nico Willie fumble when he stripped the ball from Alex Collins. They're going in to put the game away. At the very least, they're going to kick a field goal. Damian Williams scores on the first play. Overtime, we win. Tavis Calhoun picks it off, and the game's over. And then we beat Ole Miss. And then, then Dak is healthy. In Liberty Bowl, and we beat Rice 44-7, to 
And uh, that's when we begin to think, you know what, next year could really be special. And it was. But the number one egg ball for me this century is 2010. Back in 2010, and you remember this was the this was the first Mullen Bowl year. But this is the year when we really became a program when people had to begin to start taking us seriously again. We blow out we blow out Memphis 49 to seven, and uh, we we lose to Auburn at our place 17-14 on a Thursday night. We talked about that race. That's the Cam Newton game. We should have won the game. We go down there and play LSU. And we don't play well. But really, that's the only game you look at on there, and you say, you know what? That's where we really laid an egg. We come back and beat Georgia. And I remember when Chris Ralph dropped back to pass, we were driving down to put the game away. I guess we're up 17-12, need to make a drive. And Chris, we've been running all over him, and then Chris drops back to pass, and everybody in the stadium went, no, and he threw the ball to R.C. Clark for a touchdown. And we're all like, yeah. Then we blew out Alcorn State. We get Houston pretty good. We went down to Houston, beat them 47-24 at their place. Then we go steal that one at Florida, 10-7. We didn't play well, but Chris White did. Offensively, we weren't what we needed to be. We were probably a little bit out-athleted then. But we still found a way to win. And that's when we realized something big was happening here. I think we had a little bit of a hangover the next week. We, we struggled against UAB. And I believe Michael Carr was the one that recovered the onside kick that ended the ball game for us. We take down Kentucky 24-17. We go to Tuscaloosa and we get beat. No shame in that. We just weren't quite ready for that. And then, we, if you remember, we lose in double overtime to Arkansas. And I, and I remember Derek D. Pasquale running on with the time running down, and we make the game time field goal and we go to overtime. And we're about to win the game. And Vic Boward, and God bless Vic Boward, that guy gave everything he had from Mississippi State fighting for extra yardage, fumbles on what we thought was about to be a touchdown run, and then they score, and uh, it looks like we're going to, you know, win the game. And then we had the thing late, you know, that, that's in the first overtime we were going to win. And uh, I'm misremembering a couple things, but I remember we had that the, the dummy cadence call. We had a penalty called on us uh, on Derek Sherrod because somebody didn't know the call. But it was a great game. Ryan Mallett, Niles Davis, great Arkansas team under Bobby Petrino. We should have won the game. And then we bounced back and we beat Ole Miss 31-23 in Oxford. And, uh, you know, listen, we hadn't always played well up there in Oxford. But when we won that one in 2010, you know, it had been a stretch since we had won in Oxford. And I'm looking at the numbers right now. I think our last win in Oxford, and this is correct, last win in Oxford, was 98 when we won the West, when we clinched the West at their place. So 2010 ended that drought of, uh, of losing ball games at Ole Miss. And so you win, and again, they're in a bad spot. That was the Jeremiah Masoli year for them, and uh, you know, kind of on their way towards the cellar. But it was one of those games for us. It really legitimized us that season as a program. And I, I believe that's when we really began to turn the corner at Mississippi State. We went from being a team that hoped to get to a bowl game to a team that began to expect to get to a bowl game. And then we go down there and we win the Gator Bowl. And uh, that's the Nick Bell year. Chris Ralph wore Nick Bell's jersey number and became the MVP of the Gator Bowl. So that's my, that's my list. Send me yours. Let me know what you think. It's a good topic, though.
I, 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 anytime we can talk about beating Ole Miss, it's a good thing. I want to remind you, our friends at Campus Bookmark, they're here to help you and to uh, serve you and get you your information you need uh, to get everything you need to be Mississippi State related. Anything that you need, whether it be clothing or decorative items for the home, you can find right at campusbookmark.net. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robert, Robertson, and that'll save you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Again, that's campusbookmark.net, promo code BSR. Stan and man, Miss Kathy Brown, the whole crew, lovely, talented Susie, everybody will take care of you. They'll treat you like family because in their minds you are family. So before we get out of here, I wanted to share a couple things with you about last season. When I get ready to write these chapters, I interview a wealth of people. I'll, I'll interview people, a lot of people off the record to get some background information about some things that happened or say, hey, I'm going to interview so-and-so about this game. What do you remember and what are some of the questions that you would ask? Those kind of things to get background. That's kind of what we do. That's what we writers do because you want to go into an interview being prepared. And so I reached out to a couple of former staffers and a, play, a couple of players and uh, this, I'm asked some questions about last year. I was like, you know, there's so there's been so many questions about last year. Uh, what happened with this? What happened with that? The first thing that I want to share with you is that there was initially some apprehension to Mississippi State bringing in a grad transfer quarterback, not because anybody had negative feelings about Tommy Stevens, but because we just simply thought. We had our guy in Keaton Thompson. Keaton to go through in the spring, of course. You know, we're out chasing Kelly Bryant. And that's one of the things, too, that, that there are a lot of people, these, a lot of these message board bros, they get all caught up in this stuff, and they say, oh, well, Joe Moorhead just wanted his guy, Tommy Stevens. You know, we really gave Kelly Bryant all, all he wanted. I mean, we, we offered him the opportunity to come in and be the starter here and uh, brought him in for an official visit. And so before there was Tommy Stevens, there was Kelly Bryant. And so that's, I think it's pretty safe to say Joe Moorhead did not believe that Keaton Thompson was capable of running this offense the way that he wanted it to run. Uh, I think some of the elements we ended up running proved that Keaton probably could have done it. But I will share with you in the practice sessions that we saw in the fall, Tommy Stevens was far and away the better quarterback much better with his accuracy. When Keaton misses, Keaton misses bad. And you can't miss high in the SEC. If not, you'll have to save you running the other way with the football. But I ask about, when did that change? Because when, when they announced that Tommy Stevens was the, one of the team captains, I kind of scratched my head a little bit. I said, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know. I'd like to know more about that. And I think you guys did too. And so I asked people, independent of each other, they had no clue that I was going to ask somebody else. And both of the players that I spoke to voted for Tommy Stevens to be to be captain on offense, both of them. And I uh, spoke extensively about when Tommy got here, he was a little bit reserved. He was quiet, which is what the new guy should do, right? You come in you, and you got to get acclimated to the culture. You can't come in as a new guy, start ordering people around. And that Tommy came in and did it the right way. And then soon it was Tommy was one of those guys kind of pushing the bus a little bit, saying, hey, listen, Hey, guys, let's go throw the football. Let's go do this. Let's go get together and do this. And so then once they had an opportunity to get out there and work with him and see his work out, they really wowed him. And we get into fall practice, and listen, the guys want to win. They want to win football games. And so they want to have starters that are capable of helping them win football games. And so when Tommy won the job, people were not surprised. 
they hated it for Keaton, and then they hated the fact that he went in the portal and all that stuff because it was clear that there was, a, you know, the dynamic of the team was changing. But nobody on the team, to a man, this is again the two players that I spoke to, said former players, said, you know, listen, Tommy Stevens earned a job, and that neither one of them was ever negative or petty about the process or each other. Keaton obviously wants to play football. And so if he wasn't going to start here, he was going to go somewhere else. And I understand that he, you know, and he was hurt much of the year, but he wanted to do what he could to help the team and uh, and finish up his things here. But the vote to vote Tommy Stevens team captain was completely legit. Completely legit. Jim Moorhead is no longer here. I've got no water to carry for Jim Moorhead. But these other players and staffers that have, you know, they don't have a stake in this anymore. They say, oh, yeah, it, the kid earned it. He earned the job, and he earned the designation to be the starter. And then when we lost the ball game against Tennessee, both players told me that they knew to a man that they had lost the fans. They had lost the fans. Social media was ugly. And rather than the players kind of turn on each other, that they begin to kind of rally around each other. And there, there were some difficult times ahead, and I understand that uh, that four-game losing streak, I understand that the person that it probably weighed the most on was Darrell Williams because Darrell Williams was so determined to lead this team back to a bowl game and that he wore that on his sleeve. we got to do this. we got to do that. And that he was the guy that probably carried that burden more than anybody else. On the roster, all the seniors were invested, and everybody wanted to get it. But I understand Daryl is the one that you could see it in his countenance that he was one of those people that you know. Listen, he got really worried, but at the same time too, it was like, hey, let's get back to work. And then when State gets up fourteen nothing in Egg Bowl, it's Daryl Williams walking up and down the Mississippi State sideline, telling everybody, hey, listen, don't don't give up. They're go they're going to come back. They ain't going to quit. We got to do this. We got to do that. And then the feeling of the team was, you know, if we have a chance to go up 21-0, we think the game is over. We think we can go ahead and knock them out early. And then we turn the ball over and had a little adversity there. You know, we end up you know, dropping the punt, letting them climb right back in the ball game. And it was Darrell Williams. Continue to stand up to say, we're going to win this ball game. We deserve to win this ball game. We're not going out here and losing on senior night. We're not going to miss out on a ball game. And when even things got a little bit tight, he, he was the leader on this team. That probably comes as no surprise to many of you. But there are a lot of things that happened behind the scenes that, uh, you know, people are curious about. And one of the things that I wanted to know is how much of the Tudorgate stuff bothered them. How much of that? Was it something that they worried about? Was there any bitterness about it among the team? Did they treat the guys any differently? And I'm told no. Everybody was disappointed because they love Mississippi State. They were disappointed that uh, some of their teammates uh, you know, made a big mistake. But they didn't treat them like outcasts. They didn't treat them lesser than. And the two players that I spoke to said, you know what? If we have those guys all year, we want a couple more ball games. Simple as that. And, they, and, and like me, they kind of reiterated my belief here that we lost the Tennessee game because there were so many chemistry issues in practice. Because you, you get guys that are hurt, you get guys that are suspended. Well, then they got to go run a scout team. 
then all of a sudden you're putting guys in there that you know aren't as familiar with it, and so it was difficult to kind of develop some continuity. And they think that really showed at, at Tennessee. Really thought it showed at Tennessee. A lot of people, big fans of Garrett Schrader on his team too. They said the kid worked extremely hard, never complained, never asked for reps, uh, went out there and did what he was supposed to do. But listen, he's a competitor, you know, and he wants the football. He wants the football, and he worked hard to try to win a starting job in the spring. He really, really did. Rounded into much better help in the fall, and then, of course, he gets a little bit banged up. But uh, everybody to a man that I spoke to, even some of the former staffers said, Garrett had that special quality where people wanted to play hard because they saw how hard he was played, that he inspired others to be even better. And uh, both of the players tell me that he is very much capable of running the Mike Leach offense. A lot of people see him as a running quarterback because that's what we had to do a lot last year. And said that he, but he is capable, said he has the arm strength and accuracy to, to play in this offense. And so, granted, they don't know a lot of the nuances of the offense, but they believe in the guy. So I, I, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, Garrett Schroeder can't do it. These are people that are with him every day. We'll see how it all develops. But I thought I would share that with you because I felt that you would be somewhat interested about all of that. A lot of people were very disappointed that things didn't work out for Joe Moorhead because they really believed that Joe was beginning to kind of get his guys and that this year, in many respects, you know, was this kind of a difficult year, a lot of adversity that was kind of beyond the control of the coaching staff. And so they don't have a lot of bitterness towards Joe Moorhead. You know, they understand it's a business. But they hate it for Joe. I think everybody feels that way. I think most people that love Mississippi State are saying, you know what, we made the right decision here. But you kind of hate it, you know, because Joe is such a nice guy. You wish it would have worked out better. It's as simple as that. You just wish it would have worked out better. You wish you had a little tighter control on some of the discipline stuff. But uh, I have not found anybody yet that has told me that, you know, that they have any dislike for Joe Moorhead at all, that uh, everybody believes Joe really wanted to win, and Joe's heart was in it. Might have been a player's coach to a fault, but it was one of those situations, too, where, you know, we're figuring the whole thing out. The good thing is, is we didn't belabor the point. Once we knew we had a decision to make, we made the difficult decision, and uh, and somehow, some way, we were able to get Mike Leach. You know, so I think we can feel good about that. But I wanted to, to talk some football today. I'm I'm missing baseball, but man, I tell you, I'm excited about football. And there's a lot of people out there with their hot takes and just let it all play out. It's March. It's March. A lot can happen between now and then, and uh, I look forward uh, to seeing all of us celebrating college athletics sooner rather than later. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.